Welcome to the April 11th Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, and the sermon is entitled, Taking Sin Beyond the Gate, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I know most of us in these days, as we approach Easter, we look forward to the huge celebration of Easter, and it will be so next week uh, as we gather here on Easter Sunday morning. And I hope we may even have to set out a few chairs on Easter Sunday. But I'm glad you are here, glad you are streaming with us online. Today is a day that is more somber. A day that we remember, reflect on the crucifixion of Jesus. As we think about Palm Sunday, we certainly know biblically Palm Sunday was that Sunday that Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He was welcomed with a royal welcome into Jerusalem. However, just a brief week later, he would go to the cross. It is amazing how the crowd turned from one direction to another, from Palm Sunday's royal welcome to the next Friday, dying on a cross. But we think about the cross this day, and we think about what happened in the life of Jesus in this week of passion uh, that led to the old rugged cross. This Palm Sunday, the sermon is going to revolve around an earthly fixture with which you are very familiar. Uh, The fixture uh, is familiar in that most of you grew up around or on a farm uh, or around a house that had a gate. And so today is going to revolve around the picture of a gate. Farmers have necessity of gates on their property as they keep cattle or livestock enclosed in a certain section of land. And of course, in order to get into that section with your pickup truck or with feed, you have to have a gate to go through, but that gate is opened and closed to make sure that the livestock stay in place. Uh, Some of my favorite memories of pastoring here at Clifford Baptist Church was riding with Morris Thomas, a great farmer in our community who is now with the Lord. But when you rode with Morris, you were automatically going to be the gate opener and closer. He drove, you opened and closed. That's just the way it was with Morris. But I also have a wonderful memory about a gate that I grew up with at my house. I did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in the county, in, in Augusta County. But a wonderful memory of a gate in my home. I laugh at uh, this memory, but also I cringe at this memory of this gate at my house. It's not one of those big gates like you drive a truck through. It was a garden gate, about four feet wide. If you were to visit my home place today, and it's still standing in its place, you'll find a driveway that comes in beside the house on a downhill slope. And then as you go on past the house on this downhill slope, you go through the backyard. And then the backyard from the downhill will start to an upward slope. And we always call the yard leading into the field. Now, there is no fence there anymore. But when I was growing up, there was a fence that separated the backyard from the field that was behind us. All of it was mowed. All of us looked the same. But we called it the backyard and the field separated by that fence with a gate in it. Well, years ago, as uh, I lived in my reckless years, you know, after you turn 60, your, your reckless years are behind you. So these were my years when I was like 13, when I truly was a little bit on the reckless side. I would prop that gate open at the bottom of the yard leading into the field, and I would take my bike 
up to the very top of the driveway, right at the road where you turned in to come into my house, uh, and I would put my bike at the very top of the driveway, and I'm not kidding here, I would put my sister Patty on the back seat of the bike, and I'd put my best friend, my neighbor David Kaywood, on the handlebars of that bike, and I would stand up on the pedals of the bike. I told you I was reckless. And I would start down that driveway, down the hill, past the house, through the backyard, and through that four-foot fence, that gate that was in the fence, and I'd go through that. I could hear my mother standing on the porch, and I could hear her moan when we came by, thinking, oh, please, Lord, don't let them have an accident down there at that gate. But I can only imagine what would have happened if one of my handlebars had caught the edge of that gate going through with three kids on a bicycle going high speed down through the yard to catch that gate would have had kids thrown everywhere and injuries, no telling how many. But thank the Lord I never missed the gate. (laughs) We went through that gate a hundred times and somehow I got through it every single time. But in biblical times... The gate was a very important fixture that led into a city. It was a critically important place of the city. Most cities were surrounded by a wall for safety. And if an outside threat of attack came in, then the city gate would be closed and the city would be closed off from those who would come in to do harm. But on the normal day, the city gate would sit open. It was closed every night as people slept. But in the biblical day, it was a great gathering place for people. Most of the time, the city gate sitting open would gather people around it. Very often, it would be the city leaders who would gather there at the gate and would greet people coming and going, and they would carry on conversation about city government and things that were important in their day. There are many accounts in the Bible of leaders who sat at the city gate. One example of that is in uh, Ruth chapter 4, Boaz wanted to ask for Ruth's hand in marriage. But she had a nearer kinsman who really could have her hand before Boaz could. So Boaz had to ask permission to have Ruth as his wife. Where did he meet this near kinsman? At the city gate. And that's where they had their conversation, and that's where the near kinsman gave Boaz the permission to marry Ruth that day. The gate of the city or the gate of the camp of Israel also ties in with sin. And that's what I want us to hear today as we think about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Under the Old Testament law, and we find this in Leviticus chapter 4, Leviticus chapter 16, the Jews would ask God for forgiveness of their collective sin. The Jews would ask the Lord God to atone for that which they had done that created a a wall between God and His people to forgive their sin. In Leviticus chapter 4, when the people sinned, a young bull was brought out in the midst of the people, and the elders of the Israelite people would lay their hands on the bull, symbolically transferring all of the sin of the nation of Israel on that bull, on that animal. And then the bull would be slaughtered, and its blood would be sprinkled on the altar of God, and also before the altar of the Lord by the priest. All of the blood would be poured out at the base of the altar, sprinkled onto the altar, and the remainder of the blood from the bull poured at the base of the altar. 
And then the remains of the bull would be taken outside of the gate. This is very important. The remains of the bull, according to Levitical law, would be taken outside of the camp, outside of the gate, and destroyed there because it represented the destruction and the forgiveness of the sin of the people of Israel. But the sin was taken outside of the gate of the camp as God would atone for it. The bull then symbolically took their sin away. Another example, on the high holy day of atonement for the Jews, once a year the high priest would lay his hands on the head of a goat and confess all of Israel's sin throughout the year on this one annual day of atonement. The high priest, the leader of the Jewish nation, would lay his hands on this goat and confess all of the sins of all of the year of the Israelite people. And that goat was then known as the scapegoat. And it was carrying all the sins of all the people of Israel on its body after the high priest had laid his hands on the head of that goat. According to Leviticus 16, verses 21 and 22, a strong man would lead that goat out of the gate of the city, out into the wilderness, symbolically taking all of the sin of the people away from them and away from their city, away from their camp, and, and taking it into the wilderness where it would face certain death out there. But all of the sin was laid on the bull or laid on the goat in order for it to be taken away from the people. That's Levitical law. In the Old Testament then, a very important picture develops. The sin of the people is laid on an animal, and that animal bearing their iniquity is taken away, taken out of their presence, and their sin is led away from them. It's destroyed, thus destroying the sin and paying the price for their sin. Always, always taken out of the city, away from them to be destroyed. But then with the New Testament, we see the one-time destruction and the one-time forgiveness of sin forever in that God sent His very begotten Son to us. God the Son, Jesus Christ, who has lived eternally. He was there the moment that the heavens and the earth were created. As it tells us in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, everything that was created was created in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God. But there came a time in God's holy timing, in God's holy calendar, when Jesus laid aside his robes of authority and glory, and he stepped out of heaven, and he came to this earth, and he took on the flesh of humankind, born in a manger, living some 33 years as the Son of God, the Son of Man. But he lived a perfect life, a life without blemish, a life without stain, a life in which he never did anything against his Father. When God sent his perfect Son without blemish to us, John the Baptist called him the Lamb. We see in the book of Revelation that Revelation calls him the Lamb, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took our sin upon His body, and He physically died on the old rugged cross for the final and eternal and everlasting sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. Jesus is the one who took our sin upon Himself and went to the cross and died as the perfect Lamb that you and I might be forgiven 
That's why we're not killing bulls on this property today. That's why we're not laying our hands on goats today or sprinkling blood on the altar because Jesus was the final sacrifice. And Jesus took our sin away on his own body on the old rugged cross, forever accomplishing forgiveness for anyone who will come and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you bore my sin. I believe that you died to forgive me. I believe that you rose to give me eternal life, and I accept you as my Savior. When you make that statement to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, eternally you are forgiven, as am I. What good news that is. By this act of Almighty God, we are blessed and we're a pardoned people. We put our faith in Jesus Christ as the Lamb and we're overcome by the grace of God. He died in our place. Praise God for the hope that does not rest in bulls or goats or sheep anymore, but rather our hope resides only in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. You know, there's an interesting verse that connects this Old Testament law of sacrifice with what Jesus did for us as we read it in the New Testament. If you'd like to turn with me, you can. It's just two little verses. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. And I'm going to read this today from the New King James Version because I love the clarity of this as we see these two verses. Hebrews 13 Verses 11 and 12. Listen to these words. Underline these words on this Palm Sunday. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin and burned outside the camp, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. I wanted you to hear those two verses. Those verses say that just as the Old Testament animals of sacrifice are taken outside of the gate and outside of the camp, the very Son of God was ushered outside of the gate of Jerusalem and taken to a cruel place called the place of the skull, Golgotha, outside of the city, And outside of the city on that hill, Jesus laid down his life on the old rugged cross. And his blood was sprinkled out on that altar of the cross. And his blood poured at the very base of that cross, the very base of that altar. The very lifeblood of Jesus Christ collected there in observance of the forgiveness of sin. The Lamb of God taking on the sin of the world at that time. Jesus was led outside of the city, and he took our sin away from us. And he allowed himself. No man forced Jesus to die. Jesus allowed himself to go to that old rugged cross that you and I might have forgiveness today. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. That Jesus laid down his life willingly that we might have life everlasting. What a picture the perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God, the one who really deserved the throne of earth. And yet he was lifted up on the cross outside of the city in the wilderness, going through what he did not deserve so we would get the forgiveness that we needed. Praise God for a Savior who loves us so much. Palm Sunday. It's a moving day for me. The day that we remember Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem for the very last week of his earthly life 
so that he could lay down his life on the cross. He came in as royalty. He went out as a criminal at the cross. You know, my mind cannot get wrapped around the horrible punishment that my Lord endured so that you and I could be forgiven. The English language cannot begin to comprehend what Jesus went through and the agony he went through on that day of the cross that you and I might be forgiven and saved. I can't comprehend how deep that love is for us that he would lay down his life, that you and I could be forgiven, and that we could take that good news into the world through streaming and through our own personal mission efforts. As we leave this sanctuary today, we leave to take the gospel and the living Savior into a world that desperately needs him. Our, my prayer, our prayer together as a church, is that we will be faithful, each one of us representing him in the world this week that is to come as it leads toward Easter. But my mind cannot comprehend that depth of love that Jesus had to save you and me and a world in sin. In a moment of reverence, I want us to remember the horrible mockery and punishment and death that Jesus endured so that today you and I can come to this church and we can walk through these doors out into the world as a people of hope. This is a hard world, a world at war, a world of skepticism, a world of political upheaval, a world that can't get along, and yet you and I represent a Savior who died for that world. And that Savior died for Putin as much as he died for any other person in the world. Now, my prayer is that we will take the good news to a world that desperately needs the name and the love and the salvation and the grace of Jesus the Christ. And so I want you to turn your Bible with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And with humility and reverence, I want us to hear the old story once again. John's Gospel, chapter 19, go to verse 17. If you're listening online... I would love for you to hear the pages of the Bible turning right now. It's a beautiful sound. Turn with me. If you're at home listening in, take your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 19. As we go to verse 17, hear these words. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, 
when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Then Jesus, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. May God add his blessing to this absolutely moving picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us. On this Sunday, brothers and sisters, we're compelled to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. Amen? We say that from the bottom of our heart, that he loves us so deeply. But from true thankfulness arises a people who are willing to go to the world with the good news. My prayer is that you and I will commit our lives today to do that. But also today, if you've never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you've never received Him, today is the day that can change your eternity. When you say to Him, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I do believe that you, indeed, the Son of God, came to this world. I believe you lived a perfect life, and I believe you died on the cross. But Lord, today, in a personal way, I understand that you died for me. You died with my name and my life and my heart on your mind. You died because you knew I would need forgiveness, because all of us sin and all of us fall short of the glory of God. So, Lord, thank you that you endured the cursing and the spitting and the hitting of your body and the crown of thorns and the spikes in your hands and your feet just to forgive me. And I need you as my Savior. I believe that you were taken outside of the gate and you died so I can live. Lord, today I give you my heart. I give you my life. And this instant, you will be saved. Now today, because we have a little extra time in the service, I'm going to do something that Tom doesn't even know about. Last night, I was putting my guitar in place and I stood by that cross and I played a song. And since I have a little more time today, I'd like to lead you in that devotion. And then we'll go into the altar call. But I want you to just 
be with me and worship with me in this one song by the cross. pray together. Father God, thank you for the old rugged cross. Thank you, Father, for the life that you promise us, the forgiveness that you give us through that old rugged cross. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself today that we will represent you well in this world, Father, that we will call others to the love of Jesus and to the salvation that only he can give. I pray in these moments today, Father, that we as brothers and sisters will rededicate our lives as a church and as your people to go to the world with the love of Jesus. It's so desperately needed there. For that one who needs Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray this moment, Father, that you will bless us and that indeed we will 
sees that one person come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, or Father, that you will bring that one online. We may never know that name. We may never know that face. But one day we'll meet in heaven, and they will say, on that Palm Sunday, I gave my heart to Jesus that day. Father, I pray for those who need you to come to you as Lord and Savior and God and King. Bless us, church membership, whatever our need. Bless us in these moments in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.